Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Our speaker in the Baptist pulpit today is Pastor Jerry Ross. Pastor Jerry Ross was saved at a young age at a church in Brazil, Indiana. And then he was called to preach shortly after there, 1979. And then after graduating from Bible College, 1987, he entered into the full-time gospel ministry been preaching over 30 years. He pastors now at Blessed Hope Baptist Church in Jasonville, Indiana. Pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you as you listen to it. Go to Acts chapter number 12 tonight, Acts chapter number 12. We appreciate the opportunity and uh, I was hoping I'd find some springtime out here, but y'all are struggling with the same situation we are. I keep telling myself, this is my 56th spring, 56th spring. Every previous year of my life, spring did come. So surely, it's going to make it. But uh, I'm beginning to doubt. But uh, it's exciting to be in this ministry. I think you're aware of this. But this uh, church, this ministry is a miracle. And uh, it's in a, a very challenging area. East Coast, your preacher's uh, taught you well and, and you're educated in this but is in desperate need of churches and, and church plants and 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 yet uh, it's, it's it's tough it's a hard difficult area so many things the devil is stacked against it and then you show up to southington connecticut and you just look around and say to god be the glory great things he hath done and so very exciting always excited to be able to come and visit Brother Townsley in the ministry here, and we'll look forward to what the Lord's going to do in the next few days. I'm going to read the portion of Scripture here in Acts chapter number 12. Before I do, I'm going to go ahead and give you the name of the message because I want you to think about it as we read the story, and we're going to use our Bible study time, the preaching service, to use the Word of God to try to answer this question. Here's the name of the message tonight. Hooray for Peter, but what about James? Hooray for Peter, but what about James? Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about the time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he sought please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quadrants of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. 
Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. When Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. When he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said thee, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show thyself of these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd use the word of God, dear God, to minister to our hearts, to help somebody that perhaps is going through a crucible of life, to prepare the hearts of all of us who will face the things that sometimes don't make sense and just have no explanation. I pray, Lord, after tonight's message that perhaps we will learn to trust you, uh, maybe on a higher plane, a higher level, Use this to prepare our hearts. Maybe we make decisions tonight, uh, Lord, that will decide our future later. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The 12th chapter of Acts chronicles what I believe is one of the greatest miracles of the New Testament age. Persecution against the followers of Jesus Christ has reached a, a fervored pitch. Orthodox Jews... Pagan religions and the Roman government have joined forces against this new sect called the Way. Herod gives in to political, a political pressure and launches an attack against the leaders of the Christian church. With murder and manacles, he impels and imprisons God's men. By nightfall, Peter finds himself sitting on a dungeon floor shackled to two prison guards. Behind bolded oak doors with 14 additional guards standing armed and determined between him and freedom. The only thing delaying his execution is Roman respect for a Jewish holiday. But everyone knows that after the celebration, Peter's fate is sealed and his martyrdom a foregone conclusion. And then comes a miracle. 
God hears the prayers of his people. God sees his imprisoned preacher. God considers the 16 Roman soldiers, the iron manacles, the oak door, the bars, the barricades. Then God calls to his side one of his angelic messengers. Can you see him? He comes and bends his knee before the Lord, receives his orders, then hurls through the heavens down toward the earth, lands on Judea soil. The angel of the Lord walks through prison walls till he stands beside the sleeping apostle. Can you see it? The Bible says the cell is illuminated by his angelic aura. The bright light doesn't have effect on the soldiers at all, for God has cast a coma upon the lot of them. The angel smites Peter on the side, then begins giving orders. Get up quickly. Get dressed. Put your sandals on. Grab your cloak. Follow me. Peter can't tell if this is real, the Bible says, or if it's a dream. As he stands, the chains fall off his wrists. As he follows, prison doors open on their own account. Out past the inner guards, out past the outer guards, out the prison gate, through the quiet streets, to the city's iron gate. And then he stares in disbelief as they swing open of their own accord. Then Peter, I think, probably says to them, to himself, if this is a dream. It's a glorious one. And without a word, then the angel disappears as quickly as he had appeared. Uh, the trance uh, evaporates. Reality sets in. Can you see Peter standing there now looking up at the starry sky? He's rubbing his wrist. He's whispering a prayer of thanks. All of a sudden it hits him. I'm free. God sent an angel. I get to live. My life is spared. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Then he makes his way to a midnight prayer meeting, and soon the word spreads throughout the community of believers. God, he heard our prayers. He saved a preacher. An angel broke Peter out of prison. Did you hear the story? A miracle happened. Then the people gather around, and they celebrate, and And they get excited. Someone yells, God wins. Herod loses this time. God wins. The devil loses. But in the middle of the celebration, I want you to imagine that a freshly widowed mother comes into the gathering leading some perhaps small children into the the church prayer meeting there. Someone maybe turns and shouts at her, did you hear about Peter? The person who shouts then recognizes the woman, recognizes the children, and maybe the crowd grows hushed. Maybe the widow's young daughter looks up and says, Mama, Mama, what about Daddy? Why didn't God save him? No one has an answer. Celebration turns sober. Then maybe someone else echoes the question. Yes, praise the Lord. For Peter, but what about James? And I want to talk to you tonight on that subject. Hooray for Peter, but what about James? And Brother Towns, I begin to just study these two men, and it's amazing how much their lives paralleled each other. I won't take you to all the scriptures, but both Peter and James surrendered their lives to follow Jesus on the same day. We read that in Matthew chapter 4, that first he comes to Peter and Andrew and calls them and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then 
It wasn't just a little piece down the same shoreline that he comes to James and John and follow me and they surrendered to the ministry on the same day. Both spent the next three years being trained by the Lord Jesus Christ. Both successfully preached the gospel, healed the sick, cast out devils as Jesus paired them off two by two and sent them into the cities. Both became part of Jesus' inner circle. We read about that in Matthew chapter number 17 and other places. They went, were both on the Mount of Transfiguration, saw Jesus transformed there, and got to see a Moses and got to see Elijah, and, and, and they, they experienced that together. Both of them were with Jesus in Gethsemane when he was arrested. The Bible teaches us that both were deeply affected and confused by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And both were in the upper room when Jesus appeared to the disciples in his resurrected body. And both backslid together in discouragement. In John chapter 21, Jesus had to go and show himself to them and call them out of a ship and re-enlist them into his service and make them face the question about whether or not he loved them more than he loved these things. Not once, not twice, three times. Both were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Both were involved in seeing those 3,000 souls saved on that same day. And both were being used by God in an amazing way in the early New Testament church. And then we come to the persecution of Acts chapter number 12. And all of a sudden, there's a division, there's a dividing. Two stories take two different paths. One of them is martyred and the other is delivered. One dies and the other lives on. One has his ministry ended. The other goes on to accomplish even greater things for the Lord. One is delivered through prayer and one is taken despite the prayers of God's people. One feels the piercing of the iron sword and the other one feels the dropping of the iron chains. The spirit of one leaves his body while the body of one walks out of prison and you have to stop and you have to say, I, I, I don't understand, I don't understand. I mean, come on, you're right, preacher, hooray for Peter, but what about James? I mean, on that long ago Easter weekend, why would God choose to spare one and sacrifice the other? I don't want to talk to you a little bit about this matter of the will of the Lord. And I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about what it means to truly surrender your life to that will, to God's will. And let me point out several things that I hope we can glean some, some information from and prepare us for what we may have to face in our lives. Number one, both James and Peter had fully given their lives to God's will and God's service. I want you to let that sink in a minute. Both James and Peter had fully given their lives to God's will and God's service. We oftentimes hear preaching from the first couple of verses in the book of Romans, chapter number 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, preacher, I've surrendered to the will of God for my life. I'm going to challenge that tonight. Have you truly given your life to God's will? 
Have you truly given your life to God's will? More and more I'm watching young people make the decision of what they think is, think is surrender. But they don't come to the altar with a blank piece of paper. They come to the altar with some of the things that ought to be included in God's will for their life. There's almost the assumption that if I surrender my life to the Lord, then you know what? That means that I'm going to be in a place of blessing, so certain great and grand and wondrous things are going to happen. And Lord, I'll do your will as long as it includes. And there seems to be more and more a, a, a failure to understand what true surrender is. The Bible says that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, watch this, will of God, will of God. Too many folks are treating God as if it's his job to see to it that our will is accomplished instead of our job to see that God's will is accomplished. I, I want to just take it a step further. I'm watching a growing number of Christians that's beginning to treat God as if he's supposed to serve them instead of they're supposed to serve God. As if he's supposed to bow to their will instead of us accepting and embracing God's will no matter what that might be. I'm watching Christians treat God as their bellboy, their servant, where they say, Lord, you just kind of go over there and stand in the corner. I'm not going to need you a lot. But when I ring this bell, you come when I'm in trouble and I'll tell you what I need and what I want. And if you don't do it, then I'm going to be bitter and I'm going to be mad and I probably won't come to church anymore. I think it's time we took the bell out of our hand and put it in God's hand. I think we need to understand that he's the one that's supposed to ring the bell and we're the one that's supposed to be coming, running. And you know what? It's not us that needs to dictate to God what his plan should be for our life. It's God that's to dictate to us how he will choose to use our lie. I think James and Peter, they fully accepted this. I think they had a deep understanding. Can I go as far as to say this? We may be confused about what happened on that weekend, but I think James and Peter was just fine with it. I'm going to see if I can explain why. So number one, both James and Peter had fully given their lives to God's will and God's service they had given over their lives to, to do the will of God, whatever that will is. Number two, when a man, woman, or child gives their life to the Lord, God then chooses in his omniscient wisdom how that life is to be used. God chooses how to best use each of his servants and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, there's a lot of things that goes into that. God chooses how he wants to use us. God chooses how long each servant's life will be. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, we're told about an appointment. And as is appointed unto Men wants to die, and after this, the judgment. And I believe that when God created me and formed me in my mother's womb, when, when I was conceived, and soon after that heart began to beat, I believe that God knew, and, and he set, and he appointed just exactly how many heartbeats that I was going to be allowed. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad I don't know what that number is. If it was posted somewhere, I'd be so nervous always looking and checking it. But God knows And he chooses it because, you know, what's important? 
his will, what he needs from my life, what he needs to accomplish through my life. God chooses, chooses not only how long each servant's life will be, he chooses the mode and means of his death. Now I'm going to take you to a portion of scripture that I think will be able to clarify and begin to shine light on the subject tonight. Remember I mentioned how they not only surrendered to serve the Lord together, but they backslid together. Let's go to that story in John chapter number 21. John chapter number 21. You know the story. You've heard many messages on the three questions. Lovest thou me more than these? Lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? Peter denied the Lord three times. Guess what? God was going to make him answer that question three times. But what is oft not preached is the rest of the conversation of the events of that day that took place from verse 18 on down. Now let's learn something. By the way, folks, this is Wednesday night. This is going to be grown-up stuff. It's going to be mature Christian stuff. But it's about time that we got our thinking straight when it comes to us and our relationship with the Lord. Watch this in verse number 18. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, and by the way, this is Jesus. These are red letter words talking to Peter. When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. And when thou uh, shalt be old, Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. By the way, this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. Let's stop. Let's make sure we understand that. I know the wording is somewhat confusing. It may not be obvious what Jesus said. Verse 19 clarifies it for us. That Jesus just told Peter, guess what? You're going to die a martyr's death. You're young, and you're going to be for a while foot free and fancy, and you're going to help build the the beginnings of the local New Testament church, and I'm going to use you in an astounding way, but there's going to come a time when you're older, and guess what? Some men are going to take hold of you, and you're, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. He was telling him, you are going to die for the cause of Christ. Now, I want you to imagine Peter's hearing that, and all of a sudden, that's sinking in. All right, well, I'm, I'm going to what? Now, he has a very human reaction here, the same reaction that we have a lot of times. If you'll notice verse number 19, then this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said un, saith unto him, follow me. This is how you're going to die one of these days when you're old. And until then, you just follow me and do my will. Now look what Peter does in verse number 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following. By the way, this isn't James. This is James' brother, John. Okay, John the Beloved which also leaned on his breast at supper, and saith, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Verse 21, Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Now, let's stop and, and, and make sure we're absorbing this, all right? Jesus pulls him out of that boat, makes him answer the question three times, and then he gives him some information that I'm not sure I would want. He says to him, you know what? For a while you're going to serve me in your youth but there's going to come a day when you're going to die, and you're going to die a martyr's death. And he said, but don't worry about that. You just worry about following me. And then Peter has this reaction, and he's absorbing this. And I'm going to die a martyr's death. And he begins to look around, and he sees John there. He said, well, what about him? Well, what about him, Lord? Now watch this. Verse number 23, folks. Come on now. Then... 
uh, I'm sorry, verse 21, uh, 22. Jesus saith unto him, if, what's the next two words? I will. And we're talking about the will of God, folks. Jesus said, if I will that he tarry till I come. Well, here's a little question we need to all learn. What is that to thee? And then you know what he does? He gives the command again. Follow thou me. You know what Jesus was saying, son? What I do with his life is none of your business. Should have no bearing on whether or not you serve me or don't serve me. You know what? Don't worry about what's happening over here. And don't worry about what's happening over here. And don't always try to understand what's happening over here. You see, watch this. Come on, let's just admit it. We live in the last times. Can we all agree on that? Well, the Bible says, in the last time, perilous times shall come. Now, it's not shall come then because we're here. So perilous times are here. And men shall be, only it's not shall be anymore because we're in the last of the last days. I don't think we're just in the last. I think we're in the last of the last days. Men shall be lovers of their what? Now, folks, this is becoming more and more the reaction of things we're having to deal with in ministry. Everything that happens to us, because we live in a very selfish generation, selfish time. Folks, it's just not the world. It's infected the church. Come on, let's all be honest. That a lot of times... What we do is everything that happens, we weigh it as good or bad, fair or not fair, depending on how it affects us. Okay, so when things are happening around me, I tend to have a very selfish reaction to them. And you know what? I gauge it as good good or bad, fair or not fair, depending on what it's doing to my life. But you got to understand it. There's a God in heaven, and he's orchestrating a will, his will. And you know what? This may happen in my life, and it affects me in an adverse way, and therefore, if I'm not careful because I tend to be selfish, I want to look to God and say, well, I don't understand. That don't seem right. That don't seem fair. You know what? I I can't see. All of the ramifications of what God allowed. I can't see all of the... Listen, it's like throwing a a rock into a pond out in one of those little southern Indiana lakes, you know, little stripper pits and watching those ripples run. All I see is the splash. I can't see where all the ripples are going. Folks, listen to me. I'm going to tell you. I don't always understand why God makes the decisions he does. I don't always understand why God chooses to use this life this way and another life in another way. I don't understand why some people are allowed to celebrate birthdays into their 90s and yet me and you both have stood beside a little casket and tried to answer the question of a mom and dad that looks up at their preacher and says, Preacher, why? Why? Can I give you a really grown-up answer? Okay, can you take it? What is that to thee? Follow thou me. A preacher, I don't understand why mom and dad, why my mom and dad had to get a divorce. What is that to thee? I told you we're going to do some grown-up stuff, okay? Follow me. Well, a preacher, my niece, and she's just a little girl, and, and, and who would have known? I mean, leukemia. What is that to thee? 
follow thou me? You know what, folks? On the same day, Acts chapter 12, the same weekend, you know what? One of the choice servants of God is murdered and the other is delivered. And it's easy. You don't think that didn't affect the church, isn't it? Isn't it probably right that some people said, well, well, okay, well, good. I guarantee you, James' family struggled with it a little bit. And what I'm saying is this. Folks, listen to me. God has a will. You see, God chooses all of these things. He chooses how to use our lives to best fulfill his purposes. Now we've got to go over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Told you we'd do a little bit of a Bible study. Philippians chapter number one. Stay with me. We're getting somewhere. Philippians chapter number one. You think the Apostle Paul had a firm grip, a clear understanding on what we're talking about tonight? I think he did. In Philippians chapter one, if you look at verse number 20, we read these words. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, here's his goal, here's his desire, here's his wish, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Are you sure you surrender to the will of God? Are you sure you've surrendered to the will of God? You do understand when you surrender to the will of God, then it is his will that's important. Not your happiness, not your health, not your dreams. It's his will that's important. God, I want you to use my life. What if God says, well, thank you. But I would be much better served if I used your death. See, we don't understand because the book of Acts doesn't contain all of the effects of the martyrdom of James. But I wonder how many young preachers took up the mantle. I wonder how that affected the church. I wonder how many, how many people were saved as a result of God allowing one of his choice servants to be martyred. We don't know the the long-term effects of that, but I can take you to another martyr in the book of Acts by the name of Stephen. And we do get to see a little bit of the the behind-the-scenes ramifications of that martyrdom. Because I believe if it wasn't for Stephen and his steadfastness and his looking up to heaven and his praying for those that were taking his life, I'm going to ask you the question, would there have been an apostle Paul? Would there have been a Damascus conversion? You see, something happens here. I a lot of times am watching for months and years to see Something positive that God brought out of that. And I may never see it. Well, preacher, you don't understand this happened. And you know what? I still don't know why. Well, join the club. 
But you know what? I think there's a lot of people that were there the day that Stephen died that had no idea and didn't know till eternity what God had in mind and what that did to a young man by the name of Saul of Tarsus and how it prepared him to be converted and how it spurred him forward to give his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. We okay? We all right? See, is it God's will that's really important? Or is it our will that's really important? Say, preacher, what are you saying? What I'm saying is this. Have you truly given your life to Christ? Are you completely and fully surrendered to his will? Can God use your life any way he chooses? Is your comfort, your prosperity, your longevity, your dreams and aspirations more important than God's plan? Have you gifted God the right to write the story of your life? Is your wishes more important than God's will? Can you boldly say, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. I've watched a lot of young people go off to Bible college, and we have some that are here, and thank God for that wonderful ministry God's given you. Are you willing to be faithful No matter what God's plan is for your life. No matter what God's plan is for your life. Preacher, God called me to preach. Amen. And I dream one of these days of preaching to large crowds. What if God wants you to serve in a small rural out of the way place? Preacher, I, I dream of great revivals. What if God's will is great suffering? Preacher, I dream of citywide crusades. What if God's plan is chemo and cancer? I'm a young lady here and I I dream of a preacher, husband and healthy children and the admiration of a congregation. What if God's will is serving in a missionary orphanage as a single lady for the rest of your life? Let me ask you again. You sure you've really surrendered to the will of God? You sure? If certain things aren't checklists that you have down, are you going to walk away one of these days and Say, well, you know what, this isn't what I expected and God's not fair and I'll just go do. I believe both these men knew what they signed up for. Preacher, I have my life all planned out. What if God turns that plan upside down and inside out? What if God tortures your dreams? What if his plan is different than yours? Preacher, I dream of serving the Lord for the next 50 years. What if God's will is, and it would mean more for eternity if he takes you home in the next 50 days. Let me ask you again, can he use your life in any way that he seems and sees as best? What if he decides instead of using your life, he wants to use your death? I believe both Peter and James fully understood the magnitude of their decision to give their lives fully and completely to the will of God. Let me give you a third thought. It is not our job to understand the will and ways of God. It is our job to trust him completely. Trust him completely. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. You may be young here and you may not have had to face much in life, but I see some gray hairs out there, some gray-headed saints, and I promise you this. Go sit down beside them and learn their name and talk to them, and I promise you they are not still sitting here because everything in life seemed fair. 
They're not still serving the Lord because it all makes sense. They're still not, they're not serving the Lord because, you know what, every one of their dreams came true. They're serving the Lord. If they're still serving the Lord, they're doing so because they learned to trust in the Lord with all their heart and lean not into their own understanding. I went to elk hunting three years ago. I won't go into the whole story, but I, I, I'm a deer hunter. I, I hunt deer in Indiana. I love to bow hunt. And so for uh, about uh, 11 months and, and one week every year, I, every year I serve the Lord with all my heart. And then for about three or four weeks, I spend a lot of time in the woods just praying about stuff, just praying about stuff. And I love to hunt. And uh, it's always the dream of any Midwestern Indiana deer hunter, if, if you ask them, I mean, if there's something you'd like to do, every one of them will say, oh, I want to go out west one of these days. I want to hunt elk or I want to hunt moose. Or... And so I've been carrying that for about 30 years and thinking about it. And I told my wife one day, if I'm going to do this, I better do it while I can. And so God worked the circumstances out through a friend of a friend. I was put in contact with a pastor that pastored in Butte, Montana, and he called me on the phone and said, I hear you want to go elk hunting. Why don't you come on out? I'll take you out elk hunting. Boy, I was so excited. You know what I was thinking, Brother Towns? I was thinking, man, this whole thing is God's plan and God's will and God's reward. And here I've been faithful and I'm finally going to get to go elk hunting. And I drove out there with a friend and we then met this man and spent Sunday in his church and then we headed out into the mountains to go elk hunting. And I got to meet this preacher for the first time. And, you know, when you are meeting someone you don't know real well, there's a feeling out period. And after a day or two, it's like God just mended our hearts together. This old preacher, 70 years old at the time. And let me tell you something, Brother Townsley, that old man hiked me into the ground. He was Montana tough. I spent all summer thinking I was getting myself in shape. The problem is you cannot, you cannot prepare for the lack of oxygen at 8,000 feet. You cannot prepare for it, at least you can't in Indiana. And so I went elk hunting with that guy, and he had the time of his life. Every once in a while, he'd stop on the mountain, look back. Here I am at that point, 54 years old. Here he is, 70 years old. You say, you want me to stop so you can catch your breath a little bit? You know, I mean, he was having a good time with me. And... Uh, I got to know him, and God just kind of knit our hearts together. And about the third, fourth night in camp, we were sitting around the fire in the, in the cat uh, camp there, and, and it was dark. And I said, Preacher, I said, you've been in the ministry a long time. I said, help me with something. I said, the, the things you've had to face. I'm talking about the hardest things you have to face. I said, I don't know if I've faced the hardest thing yet. What is it? What, what is it? Can I just ask you, Preacher? Trying to be nosy if you don't want it. But what was it? What, what was the thing? He looked at me and he said, uh, well, he said, uh, I was 10 years in the ministry and he said, I made a horrible financial decision. He said, I invested, scraped together some money and made an investment. And, and he said, I thought it would make me a bunch of money and it ended up causing us to lose everything and end up $250,000 in debt. Can you imagine all of a sudden being $250,000 in debt? He looked at me and said, that was hard. 
He said, I stepped out of the ministry for five years. I didn't feel like I could still pastor. I worked two jobs. It took me five years working two jobs, but he said, I paid back every cent. But boy, that was hard on me. It's hard on my wife. It's hard on my family. And then I got back in the ministry. I said, wow. And he said, well, my, our house burnt to the ground. He said, we lost everything. Had a house fire, burned it to the ground, lost everything. He said, I'll tell you, that was hard. I'm thinking, well, I've never had to do that. And he told me, he said, but probably the hardest thing was burying my son. He said, I not only had to bury him, I not only had to bury him, he said, I watched him, I watched him drown. Well, me and the other guys in camp, it got quiet. And I said, do you mind telling the story? He said, no, I can tell you. He said, we went almost a year and a half. We couldn't get any time off. You know how the ministry is. He said, I'm bivocational. And he said, we were long overdue for a, a getaway, and my kids needed it, my wife needed it, and so I took a week, and I promised him, you know what? This week, we're just going to schedule off. And he said, we're going to drive up to the mountains, and there's a lake out in the middle of nowhere, and we're going to camp for an entire week, and we're just, we're just going to relax, and we're going to enjoy each other, and we're just going to get away. And he said, we all look forward to that. And he said, I loaded everybody up, and we drove way up into the mountains, and we found this lake that I love to go to. And he said, if we set up camp, and the first night that the we'd set up camp, and the Gals in the evening were fixing the meal, and my boy was over there playing on the rocks by the lake, and I told him I'm going to go out and fish a while, and I pushed the boat out, and he said, watching my son over there playing on the rocks, looking at my family, and the girls laughing and having a good time, and I'm out there fishing, and I finally said, finally, Lord, finally. Oh, thank you that we have this week. He said, I got busy fishing. I began to hear my son begin to scream and cry out for help, and he don't really know what happened. His son was a good swimmer. They don't know if he fell on the rocks and hit himself, hit his head, but he began to, he ended up in the lake and he, and he, he was struggling and he's calling out for his dad, calling out for his dad. He said, I'm about 100, 150 yards from my son and I see that he's struggling. And he said, I took that oar and I began to dip it into that lake with all of my strength. I said, I, I, I was, I was, paddling as fast as I can, paddle as fast as I can, and I could tell he was weakening, and I'm only about halfway there. Tears are running down my face, and he's crying out, Dad, Dad! And then he went down. He said he didn't come back up. And I said, you watch that? He said, I got over the top of where he was, and he said, I tried to do what I could to find him, but it was a deep lake. He was gone. Ended up having to go to the shore, got on the radio, called the rescue team. We walked up and down the side of the bank of that lake for the next several hours as they began to scuba dive and finally brought up my son's body. And you'll have to forgive me for what I said next, but I looked at him and I said, Preacher, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why are you still preaching? I mean, how do you do that? It's one thing, folks, if a child is taken and you're not there. I mean, it's tragic. I'm not, but he watched it. He couldn't get to him. I said, I'm just telling you, I don't know. I'd like to think I'm that good a Christian. I, how did you do that? How did you do that? And he looked at me and he said, Brother Ross, he said, I've spent my whole life sitting beside my church members in hospitals. I'm there when they get the tragic news. I'm the first one they call when 
heartache or hurt or death comes into their, he said, preach. He said, preacher, do you know how many times I've sat beside one of my members and looked at him and said, you have to trust the Lord. You have to trust the Lord. He said, when I was going across that lake and praying to God, it's like the voice of God said, remember, you told everybody that you could trust me. Remember, you told everyone you could trust me. He told me this. He leaned across, looked me right in the eye and said, Brother Ross, several years ago, I got on my knees and told God, I trust you. I promised him that no matter what would happen, I would trust him. And I say, yeah, but, but preacher, he said, Brother Ross, I told God I'd trust him. He said, by the time I got over where my son had gone down, he said, peace of God came into my heart. And I said, Lord, I promised you that no matter what happened, I would trust you. And I'm going to keep that promise. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. And all of a sudden, I realized I wasn't in Montana to hunt elk. Are you listening? I needed to be up on that mountain with that old man so I could figure out some things. See, I've been in the ministry all these years, and I've said all those same things. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Have I really given my life to God? Do I really trust him? Do I really want his will? I mean, I prayed for it. Lord, I want your will made. Lord, let your will be done. Let your, I prayed it. Do I, re, do I really, really want the will of God? And I'm just going to tell you this. A different Jerry Ross drove home from Montana than drove out there. And a lot of things that have happened in my life, come on now, folks. Come on, we're getting down to it. That I still carried a, a little bit of a root of bitterness about. Somebody help me so I'm not here by myself. Are you there? I mean, you know, I'm just going through the motions and I can say all the right things, but you know that dark road that your mind goes down through and you get on that road and you've been down to the end of it a thousand times and you know what's there, but you've got to walk it one more time. And when you get down at the end of it, you're kind of sitting there in despair and, and there's a part of you that's, okay, that's just Lord. And God says, what is that to thee? But Lord, I don't, what is that to thee? Yeah, but this don't see. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Do you get what I'm saying tonight? You in Bible college, you better figure out what I just said tonight because you're not going to make it five, ten years in the ministry if you don't understand what I just said tonight. If you don't figure it out. Because guess what? Not everything's going to work out the way you think and not every, listen, sooner or later, there's going to be a nuclear bomb dropped into the middle of your life. And that's where we separate 
the men from the boys. Because, watch this, God doesn't owe me an explanation. Excuse me, he doesn't owe you one either. And he didn't surrender to make sure that your will was accomplished. He asked you to surrender to see that his will is accomplished. And he's already flat told you. There's going to be some things that happen that's not going to make any sense. What is that to be? That's my business. You know what your business is? Follow thou me. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the word and hearing the word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.